0: Welcome everyone, you're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg.
1: But notice in verse 10 it says, He himself... who follows the Antichrist shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out in full strength, the cup of his indignation. And there is a wrath. God's wrath is very real. In Isaiah 34, verses 1 through 10, let me read something to you. uh, Speaking of the judgment of the nations, it says, Come near you nations to hear and heed you people. Let the earth hear and all that is in it, the world and all things that come forth from it. For the indignation of the Lord is against all nations.
0: Can I ever say Today on Truth in Christ, our scripture says, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God. This reminds us that there is a connection between worshiping the beast and his image and receiving his mark on your forehead or on your hand. No one could casually or accidentally take the mark. The connection between worshiping the beast and taking the mark will be clear enough. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he continues our study in the book of Revelation, chapter 14, starting in verse 10.
1: This false religious system, this political and economic system that's coming upon the earth after the church is removed. But nothing's happening with it right now. It would take a great deal of effort, money, and resources to build that up to make it something. I don't know. I, I'm not really convinced that Babylon is the the real Babylon in the Middle East. There in Iraq, not convinced that this is the Babylon that's being referred to for many reasons. But we'll look at that more later. But its name is certainly synonymous with evil and corruption. And rebellion. And we saw the beginnings of it in Revelation or I'm sorry in Genesis chapter eleven. We saw this false religious and political system already um, developing on the earth immediately after the flood. And it's going to rear its head again and probably station itself right in Rome, perhaps. Perhaps. Now let's go on in our text here, the next couple of verses. Notice that verses nine through eleven. Lays out warnings or consequences for those who take the beast on their forehead or on their, on their uh, hand. It says a third angel followed them, verse nine, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the cup of, wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out. In full strength, into the cup of his indignation, he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone, in the presence of the holy angels, and in the presence of Lamb. It doesn't sound like a very good thing, does it? But this cup of wrath, we see it in the Psalms. In Psalm seventy-five, it says, "For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red; it is fully mixed, and He pours it out. Surely its dregs shall all the wicked of the earth drink, or drain and drink down." So this whole idea of the cup of his wrath, is not a good thing. In the context in the scriptures, it's always in a negative context. In fact, remember when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane with his disciples that night that he was before he was taken, it says in Matthew 26 that he went a little further and he fell on his face, remember, in the garden. He prayed, Oh, my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. What cup is he talking about? He's talking about the cup of wrath that he was about to take. As he would be not only lashed, the beatings the and beatings the, the, the spear in the side, the crown of thorns, all those things were horrible. Most people died during those things. But let me suggest to you that the greatest thing that he did on that cross, which no man has done, is take the sin of the world upon himself. That nobody could see that, could they? All they could see was a bloodied man that he could barely be identifiable as a man on the cross. But what he did on that cross was something that wasn't to the naked eye, could not be seen. Finally, when Jesus was on the cross, you remember, he looked up, and I can't imagine the expression on his face, how maybe his pupils just completely you know, swelled up or, or, or shot nearly as he realized what was happening to him. He knew what was happening. He knew it had to happen, but he's never experienced it before. As he took the wrath of Almighty God for the sin of every man, woman, and child that could ever be born in that one moment. Do you understand? That's hideous sin. Consider that he was sinless, he was without sin, and then he takes the, all of the junk, all the, the repercussions of our sin upon himself in one instant. It's overwhelming to consider. But Jesus, remember in, in verse 42 here, he says again the second time, he went away and he, said, pr- he prayed, he said, "Oh my Father, if the cup cannot pass from me unless I drink it, your will be done. He didn't want to go through that. Is there any other way? He knew there was no other way. There was no other way. The scriptures have been foretelling it for centuries, even a couple thousands of years. There was no going back. He knew that very much. When we look at verses 10 and 11, we're going to see the clearest references concerning the fact that punishment in hell is for eternity. This is a great subject, isn't it? Aren't you all excited? Isn't this just like something that just makes you want to stand up and sing a hymn? This is difficult stuff, but here it is. Here it is. But notice that hell is eternal. In Revelation 20, verse 10, it says, The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire. This is the final resting place for all the wicked, including the devil and the false prophet and the Antichrist and all those who follow him and have rejected Christ. Ultimately, this is the final end. And they were cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beasts and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. What part of that don't we understand? Some have tried to say, well, it's just annihilationism, that once you're dead, you know, you just you just black out. It's sort of like when you go under anesthesia, when you have an operation, you just you don't remember anything. Is it like that? No. The Bible tells us something different. That there is life after our physical life. We will all be resurrected, some to eternal. Uh, glory, and some to eternal damnation. And that's the truth. And a holy God does this because his love is great, and so is his wrath. Aren't you glad you're on the good side of God? <laughs> Aren't you glad you have peace with God? And now, because you have peace with God, guess what? You have the peace of God. Can you lay down your head at night without taking an Ambien? You can lay down your head at night because you're like, Lord, you know all my sin. I've confessed it today. My, my slate is clean before you. What grace is that? What What a greater feeling is that? People try to find that with alcohol, with drugs, and with sexual partners. They try to to get that feeling of of whatever it is, the release of that. There's no greater release than to know that you're right with God and he loves you. And guess what? You're going. You're going up. Amen? I'm so looking forward to that. Yes, it's something worth the clap about. It's something worth jumping up and grabbing paint and spray painting ourselves. (laughs) Like they do in the football games. (laughs) Yeah! But notice in verse 10 it says, He himself, the who follows the Antichrist, shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out in full strength, the cup of his indignation. And there is a wrath. God's wrath is very real. In Isaiah 34, verses 1 through 10, let me read something to you. Judge, uh, speaking of the judgment of the nations, it says, "Come near, you nations, to hear and heed, you people. Let the earth hear and all that is in it, the world and all things that come forth from it. For the indignation of the Lord is against all nations, and his fury against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them; he has given them over to the slaughter. Also, their slain shall be thrown out; their stench shall rise from their corpses, and the mountains shall be melted with their blood." Sounds like a really great scene, doesn't it? Sounds like The Lord of the Rings. And all the hosts of heaven shall be dissolved, notice, and the heavens shall roll up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall down as the leaf falls from the vine and as fruit falling from a fig tree. For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Indeed, it shall come down on Edom and on the people of my curse for judgment. The sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is made overflowing with fatness, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord is a sacrifice in Basra. Remember, the 144,000 are going to flee to Basra. And God's going to judge Basra when he comes back to the earth. He's going to rescue those 144,000 that are going to be in that land, that place of Petra. And there's going to be a great bloodbath. Not, not for the, his 144,000, but for those who get in his way. He is going to judge the earth. And it's going to get much, much worse than that. Much, much worse. But we know that hell is a real place. As we look at this eternal thing, it's, 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 it's a serious thing. Notice in Matthew chapter 25, what did Jesus say? He will also say to those, in his, in his millennial reign, he's going to divide, uh, it's called the sheep and the, jo- the goats judgment. And he's going to divide those who stood with him and those who departed from him. And he's going to say for those who departed from him, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for who? The devil and his angels. It was originally prepared for them. It really wasn't designed for man initially. But in our rejection, ultimately that's where we will be if we don't believe in Christ. I had a friend, you know, he told me these things. And and I'm so glad he told me the bad news. 'cause nobody likes to tell the bad news. Cuz unless you know the bad news, the gospel isn't the gospel cuz the gospel is good news, but before there's good news, you have got to know what the problem is, right? It's sort of like when you, you know, when you're having a, you know, a financial problem, you know, and you owe thousands of dollars and you get a check in the mail unbeknownst to you from a relative for that amount, you know, same kind of thing. You have this real desperate need. I got a real problem here and all oh, the gospel the gospel saves. In two Peter chapter two, it says, "For if God did not spare the angels, He didn't even spare the angels who sinned, but He cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment." We know we already looked at this when we were in Second Peter or in First Peter, and um, we'll look at this. Uh, we looked at this uh, prior when we were in uh, James as well and Jude, but these um, angels are going to be reserved for judgment. And the Lord knows, verse 9, how to deliver the godly out of temptations. That's you and I. How to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. There is a day of judgment. Even the angels who did not keep their proper domain they but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And Hades is a place where when we, when people who... Don't give their heart now when they die. The Bible says that for us, believers, to to, um, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But it's also true for those who die outside of Christ, they go to Hades. We call it hell. It's a container, if you will, a place where the wicked dead live. And they are going to spend torment there until God takes that, that container, if you will, and he dumps it into the lake of fire. We'll see that as we look here at Revelation 19. We'll look at these three verses, because the beast and the false prophet, they're first cast into this lake of fire. It says in uh, chapter 19, verse 19, And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, their armies, gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse, that's Jesus coming back, and his army, that's you and I, and the angels. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Notice, these two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And then in Revelation chapter 20, what does it say, the first three verses? And then I saw another angel, and this is after the thousand years. Satan is chained up for a thousand years. And it says, I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key to the bottomless pit where Satan uh, is going to be in a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of that dragon, that old serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and put a seal on him. And so now the thousand-year reign, the millennial reign, goes on with Christ, and then he's released at the end of that. And then notice in Revelation 20, verse 10, the devil who deceived them was cast now... He's taken out of his abyss this place of time out, if you will, for a thousand years. Now he also is cast into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are. doesn't sound like a happy party to does it? I hear teenagers speak of that, you know, and they get, they, you know, they get a little arrogant and they're drinking beer. You know, you hear them, I've heard it before. Yeah, man, I can't wait to go to hell. My friends will be there, it'll be a big party. Okay, really? You think it's going to be a big party? You know, we know that it's just ignorance. It's just ignorance. They don't know. But it's, it's eternal and it will last forever. But notice in verses, well, look at verse 11. The smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever and they have no rest day or night. So this is forever and ever. This is eternal, eternal. But notice, and there's a nice clearing of the clouds now and I'm really thankful for that. Notice in verses 12 and 13, these two verses are the assurance of the believers going through this, that they're going to make it through. Notice what it says in verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and of the faith of Jesus. Then I heard the voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. These wonderful saints during this time giving their hearts to Christ, and uh, they will be rewarded You know, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. It's important that we receive him. Because if we don't, this is what, you know, these things, these awful things will happen for eternity. But notice in verse 14. It says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And so now we're seeing another judgment coming, and this, we believe, is Jesus Christ in his second coming, but coming in a a sense of, of, of pouring out his wrath And this is another symbol, if you will, or a a representation of that. We see the Son of Man in Matthew chapter 24. You know, Jesus even said it, Then the sign of the Son of Man, Jesus speaking of himself, will appear in heaven. All the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on what? The clouds of heaven with power and great glory. In his second coming, that's how he's going to come. And he's not coming as the meek, mild lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. No, he's going to come back as a lion of the tribe of Judah, exacting vengeance upon a world that has rejected his son, his only means of salvation. The son of man. We see that in other places. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 and 32. We also see it in Daniel chapter 7. What does Daniel chapter 7 say? I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him, and then he was given dominion and a glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. Who does this sound like? It's Jesus. Daniel prophesying of Jesus, the Son of Man, coming to bring judgment judgment upon a world that has rejected him. In John chapter 5, Jesus said, speaking of himself, the Son of Man, and it was given him, verse 27, that God the Father gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. He has the only right to judge. No one else. No one else has that right. Notice in verse 14 that he was given a crown. This crown is not a diadem. This is a Stephanos, it's a a crown that is given to victors in races and, and games. And so this is a crown that Jesus has on as he executes judgment, but ultimately he will be outfitted with many crowns, it says in Revelation 19. Many crowns, many diadems, a whole different crown, a kingly crown, over many kings. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You compare that with Daniel chapter 2 and all the kingdoms of the earth, and you look at all those kingdoms. He is the king of kings. He has many diadems on his head when he returns, many crowns. In verse 14, he says, And he had in his hand a large, sharp sickle. And this is what a sickle looks like for those of you who don't do much farming. But it's just a handle with a curved, rounded kind of blade, And, and this is the kind of thing that he's coming back with. It may be symbolic, but either way, he's coming back and he's going to have a sickle in his hand. And notice, and another angel came out of the temple, and this is the temple in heaven, not the tribulation temple on the earth at that time. And notice, what does the other angel say? He cries with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you, for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. The harvest of the earth is ripe. This word ripe is really interesting because it's not just a ripe fruit. It's actually fruit that is overripe. It is so ripe. Have you ever seen like an orange when you let it sit on your counter? For about three weeks. At first it sounds so it was so plump and so good and everything, and all of a sudden that three weeks it starts to have indentations of it because of all the moisture is starting to go out from it and it starts to um rot within and it starts to lose its moisture. You've seen it. That's the kind of thing he's talking about. It's way overdue is the idea. It's overripe, it's way overdue. This is the the harvest of the earth is ripe. They are just ripe for the judgment. Ripe for judgment. And this ought to remind us of Matthew chapter 13. Remember, Jesus gave the parable of the wheat and the tares. And then in chapter uh, 13, verse 37 through 43, he gives the explanation, and that's what I want to read to you. He says, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. So here, he's describing, he's, he's given us the, the interpretation of the parable. Just like Nebuchadnezzar's dreams were interpreted by Daniel. Just in case anybody's wondering, he gives the, he tells you what it is, these symbols. What are they? What do they mean? Well, the field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, the the believers. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one, those who don't believe in Christ. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Does that sound familiar with what we're reading? Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and they will be cast into the furnace of fire. They'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And see, this is the stuff, folks, that we none of us want anyone that we know to go through. This is the compassion. We have to get over ourselves in the sense of sharing things like this. Because nobody wants to share that. You can lovingly tell them, but they must be told. They must be told the bad news and the good news. And maybe preferably in that order, we must tell them. We must tell them. So he who sat on the throne, verse 16, thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And so this is a judgment. As we look at verses 17 through 20, this speaking expressly about God pouring out his wrath upon the vine of the earth. Now this is interesting because it says, notice, another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire, and he cried with a loud voice to him who had this sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle, and gather. notice the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her ripe grapes are fully ripe. Fully ripe. They are mature. They're ready to go. Not like the dried up stuff that we talked about before. This word for ripe is a little bit different. It's right at that point where it's the juiciest. When that peach that you pull off the tree in Canandaigua in the summer and it's just bursting and it's just like dying to be eaten. And you, you know the kind when you just put your finger on it and it kind of dents in a little bit? You know what's happening. You know how good that is and you have to eat it over the sink because it's spli- splashing all over you, dripping down your elbows. And you just hose yourself down. But anyway, I digress. So, see, this is good that we inter- <laughs> put a little levity in here because this is tough. But notice, thrust in your sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth. Now, some believe that this could be referring to unbelieving Jews, because certainly the Jews were known as the vine. We see that in in verses, the verse uh, Psalm eighty. You have brought out, you have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. And then in verse fourteen, return, we beseech you, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see and visit this vine. The vine is Israel, but this may not be Israel. It says the vine of the earth. And there are other chapters and verses we could look at, but we're not going to take the time to go there. But you can write those other two down that talks about uh, possibly Israel being the vine. But really what this is setting up, I believe, is the true vine versus the vine of the earth. We know that Jesus is the true vine. He said so himself in John chapter 15. He says, I am the true vine.
0: I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our journey through the book of Revelation. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140.